All right. Hey, welcome. Good morning, Hope Community Church. Uh, working through the technology. Yesterday, uh, Brian and I jumped on a call to make sure that this works, that uh, um, everything was going to work correctly. And he mentioned, he's like, wow, I can see you crystal clear. He met, He joked that he could see every follicle in my beard. And so if that is your visual today and uh, you can see me that clearly, my condolences to you. Um, anyway, that joke. Um, so in 1962, uh, a comic book came out called Amazing Fantasy Number 15. And it was actually in that comic book that we get Peter Parker, right? Famous Spider-Man origin story. He's on a, a science expedition uh, or a, um, trip and gets bitten by a radioactive spider. And, and all of a sudden, even on his walk home, he starts to notice he's got uh, some new powers, a spidey sense. And um, then he gets into some events that start to reveal even more powers. Um, but that's a famous... That's his famous origin story, and we'll talk more about that later. Um, but I wanted to start, and as we look at Psalm 67, uh, and God took me on a different journey than I expected. I thought this week we were going to really be talking about evangelism, and in one sense we will, but but God uh, took me in a little bit different direction. And, I, and I, one of the things that he was revealing was that we he wants us and we should be reoriented in his story. Psalm 67 is really about seeing God's story. And, and so our origin story, then, when we think about it, is uh, dates back to Genesis 1 through 3, the Garden of Eden, living in God's presence and under his word and, and in, his, in the light of his face. And, and we see that beauty, but then right away we see our forebears sin, and with their fall, they're actually cast out. They were living under the perfect rule and reign of God, but they're cast out of his presence. They were allowing his word to dictate to them what is truth. And then when they were cast out, when sin entered the world, there started to be this chasm. And, and it had cataclysmic and systemic consequences that um, as we, the human race, moved from being in God's presence, we also moved from giving his word ultimate authority in our lives. And we started to say what, what I say is true, what I say is good, what I say is right, is what is right. And this chasm between the God of goodness and justice and righteousness that we once knew and ourselves was developed. And, and this morning, and, and this is why we go back to the scriptures week after week, we we have a real opportunity to sit under God's word and allow his Holy Spirit to reorient our reality, to take our life and our experiences and our understanding and to filter it through the lens of the scriptures and see what does God say? And that's really what Psalm 67 is. It's reminding us of who we are in God's story, that we, uh, this is a prayer of God's chosen people and they're praying that the chasm of sin and separation would be undone by his grace and mercy, by his rule, by his kingdom expanding. And so this hymn is actually, or this, this psalm is actually a song meant to be sung. It cries out for God's blessing, for equity in the world, and for people in the entire universe to unequivocally offer their praise to God. It is a prayer for restoration is a prayer of longing, it is a prayer 
of hope. And so let's get into it. So Psalm 67 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face shine on us, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Amen. And so as we look at this, we see that this prayer starts with a prayer for God's kingdom and his rule in our own lives. And so as we think about ourselves, uh, if, you're, if you're watching this, you're tuning in, you're saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. You become someone that wants to experience the grace of God. You want to have his kingdom, his words have authority in your life. You want to feel his presence. You want to live under his blessing and not under the curse of being separated from him because of sin. As those of us, we've been bitten by the bug of sin, but we want to experience God's power and presence by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. There's nothing better than this. So that's the verse one of our of the prayer here, that God would be gracious to us, have favor, bless us, and more so make his face shine on us. This is an Old Testament concept with New Testament ramifications, this idea of blessing, this idea of having God's face shine on us. We see it in Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. You maybe have heard this at weddings. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. It is a blessing to have the face of God shining on you. And it is cursed when he is looking away. Adam and Eve were blessed in the garden. God was walking with them in the cool of the day. Intimacy, joy. And they were cursed when they were cast out of his presence because of their sin. Israel was blessed when God's face was upon them, his protection, his provision in the wilderness. They were cursed when their exile sent them away from his presence because of sin. Blessing, we see it again as used as a benediction at Christian weddings. Why? To know God is to be blessed. You say, may God bless and be near your marriage. Will you experience health and intimacy and goodness and joy and may his presence be near to you in your marriage? And, and really that's what we've lost because of sin. We've, but we do, we have this desire to experience the presence of God. If we think about even right now our own circumstances and COVID has forced us to be distant from people. How we long to see people face to face, the joy of their presence, the feel of a hug, the ability to laugh together. It is life-giving. 
And the high point of the Christian life is experiencing the presence of God by way of feeling him draw near. And so Psalm 67 reminds us the importance of seeking God's favor, seeking his face, the importance of spending time with God in prayer and in his word. Because we are in this constant battle. Are we going to live as God prescribes through his word? Or are we going to trust our word? Are we going to self-govern in our sin? We want to experience God's grace because he cannot have favor on the one under sin. We need someone to come and redeem us from that sin, which would be an act of the grace of God. So we pray for God to be Savior and Lord of our lives, to bring his blessing. We desperately want to experience God's blessing. But like a pot with too much water, that boils over, that bubbles over, because there are no end users of that blessing. When we really are feeling the favor of God, we want people to get in on this. Which brings us to the second thing Psalm 67 has to show us. That we pray for God's kingdom to rule, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of those around us and to the ends of the earth. This is a missionary psalm. This psalm reminds us that we are called to participate in God's story. Look at verses two through four. We experience God's blessing, and then there's a huge and important thing we need to see. So that. Whenever we're reading the Bible and we're asking, what point is this trying to make? And we see things like therefore or so that. Our ears should perk up. We want to experience God's favor so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. This prayer longs to see God's ways known, his salvation known, and for joy and justice to rule the day. As those who have been brought from death to life as redeemed sinners, we long for the day when God makes all things right. The cry for justice is ultimately a cry from the pits of human souls, people made in the likeness of God, crying out to their creator for things to be right. And he hears. We long for that day. We long for the day that instead of choosing to sin, we choose his ways. When we choose to sin and the, and the Holy Spirit brings repentance and conviction, with that pain we feel leads us to long for ourselves to be made right. We don't want to stay this way, God. Heal us. When we see our friends and family make choices that hurt themselves and others, and the pain we feel that we're longing to see things made right, where the king would rule with equity and justice. When we see an image bearer of God put to death at the hands of the police, lying there dehumanized for eight minutes and 46 seconds until... Breath leaves his body, and the pain and injustice of that 
breaks our hearts because we know it's in the long line of 400 years of pain and devastation. And we see it in our own backyard and we cry out because we long to see God make, make things right in our communities, in our hearts, in our twin cities, in our world. This prayer is a cry out for that. That we desperately want to see God's ways known, his salvation known, his joy, the joy of being in his presence, the justice that he brings cover the face of the earth. We long to see the day that sin and death and the devil are forever banished by the just judge. And praying Psalm 67 helps us overcome our indifference by turning it in, turning that longing into action. So here's what Psalm 67 calls us to in living out the gospel, living out our faith. First, we display Jesus by our holiness. That we become what we behold. When we spend time with God, we become like him. When Moses came down the mountain, his face was shining so bright that he had to cover it because he was blinding people because he had been changed by spending time in the presence of God. So we display Jesus by our holiness. Secondly, we proclaim Jesus through the gospel. We have been given what grace we have been given that our creator would speak to us, that he would give us his spirit and enable us to understand his word. And that we get to tell people his word, put it in front of them and watch them respond. So we proclaim Jesus through the gospel, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, where he rules and reigns today. And third, we act in mercy to others to show people who Jesus is and what he is like. So in the Spider-Man origin story, He's infused with these superpowers. He actually, uh, in, the, in the comic, he comes across a, a wrestling match. And this idea is if you can spend an hour in the ring with this, this bulky, tough wrestler guy, then you win a prize. And so he does. And as he's in the ring he's, and he's, he's fighting off this wrestler, he's learning that he's got all these powers he didn't realize. And then he leaves the ring and... And he's standing in the hallway and a burglar runs past and a cop is chasing that burglar and, and Spider-Man just stands there. He's still in his suit and he just stands by. And when the cop comes back and asks, why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you help? He says, my only concern is myself. And later he'll learn a hard lesson. He'll learn the lesson that with great power comes great responsibility that with the powers he's received, he's, he can't just think about himself. He has to consider others. And, and for us, we've been infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. God himself dwells in us. We know his glory. So therefore we can't just think about ourselves. We want other people to get in on this. But this brings us to actually a harsh reality in our passage that we need to confront. Far too often we choose our comfort over our love of Christ. 
This keeps us from displaying him, from proclaiming him, and from acting like him. And we need to see that our indifference does not accomplish the will of God. And ultimately, we need to repent. We've got to look at these hard questions of three questions. Why don't I see God's face more? Why don't I share the gospel more? Why don't I show the mercy I've been shown? Why don't I seek God's face more? Well, it's more comfortable to log on to social media. Why don't I share the gospel more? What if I lose that friendship? It's more comfortable to not risk challenging someone to reconsider the gospel. Why don't I show the mercy I've been shown? It's more comfortable to turn a blind eye. You know, if you're tuning in, and I appreciate Brian mentioning, we welcome you to tune in if you're not a follower of Jesus. And But if you are tuning into this and you're not a follower of Jesus, you might be wondering some of these same things. You might be wondering, why does it seem like I see hypocrisy and sin and indifference from people in the church? Maybe that's a, a source of frustration holding you back from trusting in Jesus. Why don't they care more? Why are they so self-righteous? I know that was something that kept me from the church and from trusting the gospel. And yet I would appeal to this. When you see the mess of the church, you see exactly why we need Jesus. He is our only hope for forgiveness and healing. He's the person we appeal to for justice and mercy. He's the person we seek when life pulls the rug out from under us, and we are left with conviction or despair. And we're forced to confront and own up to our sin. We run to him. We know he's our only hope. We pray for his help, that we might know him more and show him off more fully. So let, let that frustration actually serve this gospel message that there is only one place where justice and mercy meet. There's only one place that we can ultimately appeal to for hope and life and grace. And that is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, who for our sake suffered, died, and was raised. And for us Christians, I want to remind us of the story of the lawyer in Luke 10 who seeks to test Jesus in the famous parable of the Good Samaritan. And he tests Jesus and, and replies to Jesus, the two great commands are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But what does the lawyer do next? He says, in self-righteousness, Luke tells us, seeking to justify himself. He says, yeah, but who is my neighbor? He's saying, why should I care? He's looking for the escape hatch of indifference. And what he gets in response, Jesus gives him the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the, the person lying on the side of the road, wounded and beaten down. And the priest and the Levite walk right on past, but this Samaritan, someone they would have considered to be a dog, walks by, and the Samaritan puts him on his donkey, 
takes him to an inn, bears the cost, gets his hands dirty. You know, and when we read this story, it's important when we're reading the scriptures to think about who, what's the principle or who would I be in the story? And I think so often when I've gone to the Good Samaritan, I read it as I'm the Good Samaritan. That's who I am in the story. I, I show mercy to people. I do a good job. The reality of the gospel is that in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we are that person lying on the side of the road. We have been beaten and broken down by our sin. We are spiritually helpless. We need someone to intervene. And the good news is that the priest and the Levite walk past. As they say, that's certainly not my neighbor. But Jesus doesn't. See, Jesus is the true good Samaritan. He's the one who, who picks us up, gets our blood on his hands, digs us out of the dirt, and pays the ultimate price with his life to heal our wounds and bring us rest. We have been shown that kind of mercy, but far too often we, instead of remembering that mercy, we look the other way on those who are hurting or on those who need the, the gospel. Instead of choosing to show mercy or to share the gospel, we choose comfort and indifference. As we go back to a previous example, there has been hashtag after hashtag. Death, violence, discrimination, injustice against our black brothers and sisters for decades and centuries. And how often have we as the church been Instead, the priest and the Levite walking by, or as individuals, walking past our hurting brothers and sisters, not wanting to get our hands dirty, not listening to pleas for help. And don't hear me wrong, this isn't condemnation for me, this is confession. I need to root this out of my heart. The reality is we should care because God does. So we have an indifference problem because our lives are so comfortable. We feel like we don't need to care about things that don't directly impact us. But the lie that we don't belong to one another comes directly from the pit of hell. It's not the gospel of kingdom advancement, and it doesn't work. As people who are trying to see God's glory spread across, across the globe, Psalm 67 will not let us remain entrenched in that thinking. It calls us to something more. It reminds me of, of Harriet Tubman, who escaped enslavement to freedom. But she was not content to let her deliverance be the final chapter of her story. She continually risked her life and her comfort to go back and free other enslaved people. She refused to remain indifferent because she knew how great a deliverance she had, and she wanted that for others. So Psalm 67 asks, what about us? Do we know how delivered from sin we really are? Brian says it every week. We've been set free to be free, and now we have a real opportunity to seek the freedom of others. 
We have a real opportunity in the coming months and years, Hope Lower Town, to refuse to remain indifferent to sharing the gospel and showing mercy to those around us. And it starts with the holy ground of repentance. We have to repent of our indifference because our indifference does not accomplish the will of God. But repentance is where we meet with God. And when we do, there's no turning back. And here's the good news. Jesus meets us in repentance with comfort, forgiveness, and transformation. God can and will use our repentance to transform lives in the landscape of the Twin Cities. And ultimately, who does Jesus say was the neighbor? It was the Samaritan who showed mercy. Why did he show mercy? Because he knew the God of mercy, the God who had mercy on him. Brian preached from Psalm 51 last week. And what does the psalmist do right away when he recognizes his sin? He appeals to the mercy of God. We cannot forget that God in his nature is merciful. He loves to forgive. He loves to heal. He loves to take people that are beaten down and bring them to life. And so as we look at point three, because our story doesn't end there. Psalm 67 is our prayer. Verses five through seven say again, may the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Miraculously, in spite of our sin, God has called us to be his church, his ragtag bunch of broken sinners who consistently mess up. He's called us to advance his kingdom through our lives, our words, and our actions. Isn't it remarkable that God would use us? I would certainly never pick me, but he does. God loves to display his glory through weak jars of clay like us. And God's blessing, don't miss this, God's blessing is on his church, the people of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that all the ends of the earth, as the final verse says, will fear him. The grace and work of God in our lives means we are walking miracles. We have not been given over to sin, but we have been saved. And we are saved and given a purpose. And that purpose is not comfort. It's not a comfortable, easy life. It is to advance God's kingdom in Christ. So we have to remember our role in the story is to do whatever it takes to see God be praised. We want other people to see how beautiful and glorious and grace-filled he is, and God equips us to do that. Even this week, we can tell someone how Jesus is changing our life, and we can testify to God's glory in that. For many uh, events in recent months have given us opportunities to have new, deeper, or more meaningful conversations with neighbors, with family, with friends. What if we told them in some small or big way how our only hope is in Jesus? 
What if we shared with them how God is the bedrock of our lives, that no matter the circumstances, we trust him to act on our behalf because of the way he acted on our behalf by sending his son. And when we look at this prayer of Psalm 67, we see God's kingdom comes. Psalm 67 is an answered prayer, and it's answered in the person of Jesus. We see it. We see this is, I was, this is uh, the Old Testament, our father. Look at Matthew 6, 9, and 10. It says, when Jesus is teaching his disciples, the our father, he says, this then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we compare these two prayers, what do we see in Psalm 67? Be gracious to us and bless us. Make your way known on the earth. God, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Rule with equity. Bless us to the ends of the earth. And what does Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. The key difference in the prayers Psalm 67 was a cry out to God. In the Our Father, Jesus, God himself is standing. His sandals are in the dirt that we walk today. And both prayers long for the day that earth is like heaven, that God's presence and his rule are in control. No more sovereign selves, but his glory covering the face of the earth which means we get to play our part in local and global missions. It means we get to take risks and pursue God's will and faith. We display God's holiness. We proclaim the gospel. We act in mercy, all in the name of Jesus and for the fame of Jesus until the return of Jesus. This is who we are, church. We are God's plan A for advancing his kingdom because we are his spirit-filled, fully forgiven, in hand we have his word, people. We are the laborers called to bring in the fruits of the harvest, because Christ came up out of the ground, conquering death like a flowering seed, blossoming with resurrection life, and he's given us a share of that life. So as we consider our questions again, why don't I seek God's face more? Why don't I share the gospel more? Why don't I show the mercy I've been shown? How do I overcome my indifference? When we feel the weight of conviction, the longing, we have to go back to the gospel. We have to repent. We have to step onto that holy ground, that meeting space with God that says, I want to change. Heal me and help me. And ultimately, we have to run to Jesus, the hero of our story. Because Jesus is the one who makes the blessing of God fully available to us. Your kingdom come is an answered prayer in the person of Jesus. And we have to remember, there's a, a polemical aspect to this, that salvation is found in no other name. The face of God came down in the person of his son. But the Father turned his face of blessing away from the Son on the cross. On the cross, God punishes Christ as though he possessed all of our sin. He was cast out that we might be brought in. 
Jesus is the one that God turns his face away from in order that God can turn his face of blessing back to us as fully forgiven, fully righteous. Jesus loves screw-ups like us, and he redeems us with that love by going to the cross in our place. And only Jesus brings true justice in his rule and reign. There are many solutions being thrown around right now to the problem of injustice. But ultimately, we confess that justice will only roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream when Jesus Christ rules in the hearts and actions of his people. See, he brings in true justice from his exalted throne. First he suffered, then he was exalted. And he was exalted because he chose the right way. He's the one who fulfills the great commands. He loved the Father and obeyed the Father unto death. And he loved his neighbor, dying in our place. He chose love of the Father and love of neighbor so that we might have life in him. And this suffering and exaltation is our pattern too. We must be willing to suffer now and bear the reproach of Jesus through displaying, proclaiming, and acting in his name and for his praise. Only in Christ can we overcome our love of comfort and become truly self-sacrificial people who walk in obedience, loving God and loving neighbor as ourselves. He meets our indifference with his obedience. He meets our lovelessness with his love and power. Jesus doesn't walk past the hurting world, but enters into it and redeems it. And we are called to the same. And finally, he's the one who brings glory and praise to God. by showing us who God is, and then by making us new in himself. This becomes our story. We have to remember we are in Christ. Christ is for us. So when we look at Psalm 67, we see him as the answer to the prayer. He's the face of God blessing us. He's the one who makes God fully known. Saving power is found in him alone. In Christ's kingdom, there is gladness and joy. He's the one that leads our praises and makes them possible. He rules with true equity and true justice. He's the true guide, the good shepherd, fully trustworthy to follow, which means we can stop resisting. We can submit our entire lives to his guidance and care. Do you know how tenderly Jesus receives repentant sinners? Those who want to change? Like a crying toddler bursting into a sympathetic mother's arms, do the arms of Christ open up for those who repent. And so if you are with us and you haven't yet trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, today could be that day that you put your faith in him, receive the blessing, have your life changed. And for us, Christ is the ultimate blessing. He's the hope of the world. He's the hope of our sinful hearts. He's the one to whom every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will one day bow. And so we get to show, know him and show him as we proclaim, display, and act in his name. So as we close in gospel application, I just want to look at a famous passage we see in Micah 6, 8, a famous verse, coffee mug verse, right? It says, he has shown you a mortal what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
So as we close, I just want to ask, what is God calling you to do? Is he calling you just to spend time with him? I know COVID and different things have thrown off our routines. Maybe you haven't been spending time in his word and in prayer. Is he calling you to join us as we start to seek to do justice as a church? Is he calling you to give up a comfortable practice that reinforces your indifference to spiritual things? Like, like risk a relationship by telling them about Jesus. Is he calling you to seek a new friendship by trying something new or going somewhere new? Or is he calling you to repair an old relationship by offering forgiveness and reaching out? As God's word reorients our reality to align more with his ultimate truth, we have a real opportunity, Hope, to repent well and be more aligned with his ways. And through our repentance, we can get a front row seat to the work of God in our lives, in our cities, in our world. Please pray with me as we move to a time of communion. Father, we thank you so much that you have not only given us your word, but given us your son and your spirit. You've shown us grace. You've shown us favor. You have worked in our lives to heal us, and you continue that work. God, we pray that you would make us people who do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with you. We pray that you would make us people that flee indifference and are willing to embrace discomfort to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God, would you use this word to change us today and change us forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.